Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is a conversation with Ricky Morris, aka Richard Morris. You know Ricky Morris, you know the song Nobody Else, and uh, and, and he's also been and continues to be a producer and an engineer and a mixer of live sound um, and a musician. He's in fact just about to release his first song in 25 years. I had a huge conversation with Ricky because we have only met very briefly once. Um, he was mixing a mockers gig and we were on the balcony at the San Fran and someone introduced me to him and uh, we said hello and we, you know, we, we're friends on Facebook so we knew each other uh, in that capacity but that was it. I've always wanted to have a conversation with him and I've, I guess I've been a little bit, not too nervous to ask but I just sort of, it hasn't really quite worked out and um, this conversation is actually recorded over the phone which I don't usually do but I felt like I could do this with Ricky because I there, were, there is this awareness we do know each other and uh, basically he's in Auckland I'm in Wellington the song's coming out um, there's no time to get together um, in person so uh, this one's a, a phone conversation and um, we talk through it all how he joined not one but two of his favorite bands he was briefly a member of the crocodiles and uh, was there last year for the uh, earl- you know earlier this year actually for the the victory lap of the dudes um, and uh, we talked through his whole musical uh, journey which is huge he has been involved in so many bands and uh, recording demos for people at the very start of their career like Finn Andrews from the Vales and uh, Lord and that band remember that band the Czechs who were fantastic um, he has been there helping those that generation of bands and way back in the day he was a roadie for the dudes a roadie for um, the crocodiles uh, he was the opening act and a, and a live musician for when the cat's away um, yeah and of course do you remember he was a TV host he was I grew up watching him on 345 live so we talked through all of this it's a massive conversation and you'll hear a little snippet of his brand new song at the end which is a treat because um, it comes out the next day so there is a music video for it and it'll be available where you get music it's just a single there's no plans for an album at this point but I think he's going to do another single again soon um, and he's you know as he says in the conversation, he's never stopped writing songs. There are hundreds of them, so maybe one day we can get a petition together and get him to record a few more. But I love this conversation. There's so much in it. It's me talking with Ricky Morris. G'day, Richard Morris. Hello, how are you? Or is it Ricky? Which is it? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> Depends who I'm talking to. Yeah, I wondered that. Well, well, with me, uh, we have met, but only very briefly. Yeah, that mock. Was it a mockers gig that, or something? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we've done a. Ben, ben was the. I remember. That's right. We've done a tiny bit of corresponding. Um, yeah. On the old Facebook and so forth. Um, yeah. But yeah, we've we've only really um, said a couple of sentences to each other, so this is easily going to be the longest that we'll ever talk. And up up until well, this point, I'm up, hoping. Up, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Up until now, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but we've been aware of each other for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I've I've been aware of you for a lot longer, of course. But um, yeah. Yeah. It's nice to nice to talk to you, and thanks for thanks for being into doing this. Oh, no worries at all. I like to have a good chat. Yeah, good. My, my my wife will say the same <laughs> thing. Now, this is interesting because my wife calls me Richard. Yeah. And uh, a lot of my old school friends call me Richard, but you know, Ricky is kind of the the stage name, I guess. So yeah. Most people 
kind of know me as Ricky, and I don't. I don't actually mind. I love Richard as a name. I like Ricky. My brother used to call me Dick. <laughs> 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 Lovingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like um, you might have tried to do a bit of a blanket ban on Ricky for a while and it just kept slipping through. I... Um, no, no, uh, not at all. Okay. No, I, I just thought, especially like with a Facebook name or yeah. something like that, I, um, I kind of wanted it wanted just to be me more than anything. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so Richard's my name and I just thought I'll make it Richard Morris. And, and then if I ever do a music you know, um, a music page, it'll be Ricky. You know? yeah. So people know me as Ricky Morris, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, we're, we're going to talk about Ricky Morris and Richard Morris, but I, I messaged you just before this because when people hear this, um, yeah. many tributes will have happened, but we've just heard the news of the passing of Fane Flaws. And I, I met F- Fane and I corresponded with him and I did a great podcast with him. Great, great from his point of view. He was fantastic, of course, but but you knew him. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um as well as I could have known him. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, and, and, and um, we knew we knew this news was coming. Um, yeah. But yeah, sad day. Very, very sad day. Yeah. But um, yeah, nothing kind of prepares you for it when it finally happens. You know. That's um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and sad. and it's the you know the passing of a a, a multidisciplined legend. Oh yeah, I mean. Uh, uh, we could write a book on them. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. yeah very, one of the cleverest cats I've ever met. You know, one of those people that if people think they don't know what he did, they very quickly get up to speed with several yeah. things that yeah. are part of the New yeah. Zealand culture that he had. Yeah. You know, his his fingerprints on. Absolutely. When you think of all the, um, even the TVCs that he directed, and, yeah, you know, the radio with pictures the, uh, uh, yeah. starter. You know, yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, television commercials and stuff that that people just would never have known that Fane had anything to do with, as well as of course the music videos. Yeah, I was just, just going to say dozens of yeah. music videos here and in Australia. Yeah, know, and so. for some big name people, um, yeah. and and then all of that wonderful music, some of yeah. it very strange, beautifully so, and <laughs> and some of it so accessibly perfect pop music. Yeah. So yeah, really, really sad news, yeah. and uh, and it, it strikes me that um, you are someone who's managed to join your two favourite bands eventually. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. got to so, be careful what you got to be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Crocodiles, of course, which was in part a Fane Floors band. He was one of the crucial members of that. Um, he was. Yeah, you yeah. were. Not only a fan, you kind of worked for them. Yep, that's that's right. I, I when the dudes broke up, I was unemployed for about three months, and uh, and Mike Mike Chun was managing the Crocodiles at the time. With this is like mid nineteen eighty, I suppose. Yeah. And Mike Chun kept ringing me and saying, "You need to come and mix this band. You come and you need to come and mix the Crocodiles." And I'd seen them at a festival somewhere. can't remember where it was. Uh, could have been the Brown Trout Festival or something. And I thought they were amazing. I thought, wow, these, these guys are wacky as hell. Uh, and But I, I just didn't feel like kind of going straight out and working with another band. So, But then after about a dozen calls from Mike, um, I thought, oh, look, I'll just go and do a weekend with them. 
Uh, so I did a weekend, like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday at the Windsor Castle, and it was August 1980, and the, the very first time I mixed them, three members of the band and the Crocodile's entourage were arrested <laughs> <laughs> for um, abusing police officers who were trying to get people, punters out of the pub wow. at 10 o'clock. Wow. Um, so I thought, right, okay. I'm going to work with this band. <laughs> this is the sort of band I like to work with. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so um, so I kind of went on tour with them and ended up falling in love with the lead singer and, you know, <laughs> and the rest is kind of history. You're talking ended about Jenny Morris. Yes, yeah. 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 And, so uh, we were, sorry, go on. Oh, we were just a, you know, a couple for yeah. nearly, th- nearly three years. And, um, and I ended up joining the band um, they had a bit of a clear out of members, uh, and Peter Dacent left, and Tina Matthews left, and um, they, we, yeah, there was just a whole new influx of members. Me and um, Barton Price on drums, and Jonathan Swartz on bass. Pretty amazing band when I think about it yeah, now. Yeah, and t- Tony Backhouse stayed, and Jenny stayed. So it was a little bit. No, no keyboards, which was interesting. That last lineup. Um, so we were a little bit kind of, I don't know, not a, I guess a little bit rockier mm. than mm. than eclectic, you know. But um, yeah, and we did, we went to Australia and we lasted six or seven months, and then we kind of broke up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you waited in the wings a lot longer to join your other favourite band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I still can't believe that happened, actually, to be honest. Is that, and, is that in part the reason why we're hearing new music from you? Has that lit the fire somewhat? No, no. Uh, it's just a kind of coincidence, really, because I, 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 I decided to, you know, do... I, look, I've wanted to do an album for 25 years, you know? Yeah. Um, the last album I did was in 1996 or something, you know, um, Everest. Uh, Everest, which Eddie Rayner produced. Mm. And, you know, it, I, I deliberately took a step back at that time. I just, I was so disillusioned with the industry. You know, I'd been to, to Australia and I'd signed with Mushroom Records and, you know, and Mushroom Publishing. And it, and it, it kind of ended badly. And, yeah. and I just got so disillusioned with that whole pop star thing. Um, I just thought I'm going to step back, you know, um, which is what I did. In the meantime, I've been thinking, you know, I should just record some of my songs. I've never stopped writing. <laughs> I've written yeah. hundreds of songs yeah. in the meantime. Um, but it just, I don't know, I just get too busy uh, working <laughs> with other people and, and trying to make a living, you know? Yeah, well, I was I was sort of, been, I mean, we're leaping around a little bit here and, and that's probably yeah. going to happen, but that's because you're, you know, you're someone who's, you know, your, your fingerprints are all over a lot of people's music or your ears have been what's yep. guided a lot of people's music into other people's ears. And yeah, and, no, and right. some people listening know some of these stories already and know to expect some of the names, but some people won't have a clue the no. huge amount of people that you have intersected with and and assisted. Yeah, it's pretty amazing really when I, when I think about it. And it's a little bit like being, I guess, in the eye of the, Storm, you know, you don't, you're not really aware of it yeah. until you kind of step back. And yes. 
I think when, when Glenn Moffat did that little piece on me on audio culture a few years ago, yep. you know, I just, I, that's when I read it, I, I thought, holy hell. Yeah, man, that's know, a roll I've call. A <laughs> that I, is a I've roll call. You know, it was like a five-hour interview or something. Yeah, you know? like, I, I bet. And we, and, we, and we didn't really touch on everything. You know, it was just, um, so yeah, I've, I've, I've been around. Um, but, you know, getting back to the originals thing, yeah. I, you know, every, every New Year's Eve I've gone, right, this year I'm, my New Year's resolution is I'm going to do a, an album where I'm going to put out some music and uh, of my own. And then in 2018, I finally decided to do actually get the band together and do some recording. And um, and I, you know, I, I I talked to Wayne Bell about maybe coming in and helping me produce, you know, and because um, I do tend to kind of go up my own backside slightly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Wayne came in and told me what was good and told me what was bad, which is exactly what I need. Yeah. And, uh, and we, you know, I took some friends into the lab at the end of the lab studios here in Auckland um, at the end of 2018, and we recorded some stuff, four songs, and uh, what I'm releasing, you know, this month is one of those songs. So it's not an album. It's just, you know, uh, that's what I was hoping to do over yeah. the last three years is, you know, do these four songs and then maybe in 2019 do another four songs and then uh, <laughs> last year maybe do another four songs and get an album out. It just hasn't worked that way. So yeah. I've finished two songs and this first one is um, is just a taster, you know, of, of what I can do. <laughs> and it's, it, well, it's um, recognisably you for people that have held on to uh, a copy of Everest. Or, you know, remember, okay. I, th- yeah. I, I think, don't you? I mean, I was listening to Everest the other day, and uh, first of all, I want to say, and I mean this as, as the greatest compliment, but I think you actually beat Neil Finn and might have released the first Neil Finn solo album. <laughs> That's so funny, because, you know, <laughs> sorry, I just snorted. Um, <laughs> my, uh, my dear departed brother always used to say, you are but the sum of your influences, you know, yeah. and... Uh, and, and Neil Finn has to probably be, uh, you know, my favourite songwriter, yeah. lo- locally and overseas. Yeah. You know, he's been such a massive influence. You know, talking about Fame Flaws and Peter Dason and Tony Backhouse, they were massive influences on me, as were my brother and, and Dave Dobbin, obviously, yeah. and, you know, the Hello Sailor Boys and all those guys, massive influences on me. But um, Neil... Uh, there was something always very special about Neil um, to, for me. I think it might have been the big brother, little brother thing going on. Right, I don't know. yeah, yeah. And I saw Split Ends in 1981 um, when they were at the height of their powers. Yes. And uh, they were in Australia in, in, um, in Sydney, and they just completely blew me away. And, and Neil's whole persona and the whole... I know there was just something about him. I just thought, wow, he's someone that I would like. I aspire to be, you know. And and he was young and spunky and clever and you know just amazing. Yeah. And the weird, you know, the weird thing is, is that, um, uh, you know, when I moved to Melbourne and um, with my first wife Debbie Howard in nineteen ninety. We ended up living next door to Neil and Sharon. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. For two for two years. So, 
you know. And I say I, I want to cut in. I say that's right. That's because I've in, interviewed Debbie, so that's right. that's yeah, the yeah, only yeah. reason I'm um, sure. seeming like I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And yeah. and, and uh, you know, and I got to know them. Got to know him on a different level. Yeah, of course. And and, um, and realised that he's actually just a really normal human being, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, which was wonderful. I I, um, I always remember that. Um, I think it was around the time of that. Finn Brothers album, the second one, uh, so yeah. early two thousands, and I think it was Nigel Williamson writing for Uncut Magazine, or um, said finished his review by saying something like. Um, if you needed someone to write a song to save your life, Neil Finn would always be the safe bet. And I've, I've sort of held yeah, on to that and gone, that's a great way of uh, of yeah. explaining his level of brilliance with the art of songwriting. Absolutely. He he is the master as far as... And, you know, the new Crowded House album is amazing. Yeah, and I've I only given it a couple of listens, but it is good, yeah. There's some really good stuff on it. Yeah. You know, and I know there's some there's some co-writes, obviously, and um, but, uh, yeah, uh, there, there's, just, there's always just something about... Um, you know, when I lived next door to Neil, they were the Crowded House were in the process of recording Woodface, right, which I yep. just believe is one of the greatest albums of all time. Yeah, I think that's really that's special. Fun. I love that. Just the most beautiful songs, yep. just crafted, amazingly produced, engineered, just at the top of their game, I yep. believe. Even though I know Neil thinks that Together Alone is the best Crowded House album, I, I just think there was something about that. The Neil and Tim thing still going on there, and, and so you know, it's obviously that is going to be a major. You know, coming home, Neil used to come back from America, and he'd have new mixes of these songs. You wow, know? yeah, and, and I'd heard the demos even, you know. So, <laughs> uh, you know, so that is going to rub off, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, there's no way that that can't rub off on you. No, of so course. The, song, the, the songs I wrote around that time. I, I demoed in Neil's <laughs> in Neil's little eight track studio, right? Like, yeah, which was which was at the top of their house, you know, on, on a little turret on the top of their house in East St Kilda. So you know, it's going to come out of the woods. Yeah, a little and, and a little sprinkle of the pixie dust might have made it into there. I think so. Yeah, yeah most definitely. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking because um, uh, we we should go back a, a little bit further, but I was thinking, you know, your your musical relationship with your brother Ian kind of position and all of these names that you were mentioning it kind of positions you in a way as the little brother of the New Zealand music industry in a sense you know you're just that little bit younger than a lot of those names you were mentioning the 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 Finns the Hello Sailor guys the Crocodiles yeah yeah yeah, that yeah interesting that um I've always felt that too um because yeah I've always kind of hang out with people slightly older than myself. That's so true. You know, I mean, I left school and went on the road with the dudes and they were all, you know, they were as their roadie and sound engineer and they were all, you know, three years older than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah, so I I guess that's kind of true, you know, but I I just think of all those people as, you know, my brothers and sisters, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Especially the sailor boys. They're they're like brothers to me, Mm. you know. And when Dave and Graham left us, you know, it was, it was as, you know, I feel like I've lost three brothers now, you know, it's, and now Fane's gone, yeah. you know, it's like, it, it's hard, it's yes. really hard because these people are like older brothers and sisters to me, you know. It's, yes, um, I was, I was going to say, you've dealt with, I mean, you're not the only one, but you've dealt with a lot the last, the last decade in terms yeah, of that yeah, loss. Been, yeah, and I, you know, I lost my dad as well, you know, mm. and yeah, it's, it's been, 
yeah, it's been hard, but it's all just, yeah, it's just life and it's all just part of the journey. It must my make... Dad, my dad always used to say that the road gets narrower. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and, I, and I totally understand that as I, you know, I mean, I'm 60 and I just kind of think, wow, you know, I see what he means. You know, it's like people start leaving, <laughs> you know. It's... Um, it's just, it must make you pleased too, or uh, pleased is a, a glib word, but it must uh, reinforce um, how good it has been to conquer your demons. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah. I, I'm so grateful to be here. Yeah. You know? uh, and I, that sounds really twee. And, no, but it could have been you, right? Like an, it could have been you in another time. Yeah. Leaving yeah, earlier, right. I mean. Yep, most definitely. You know, they, they say... <sighs> They say jail's institution or death, don't they? You know, when you've, yeah. when you've been doing the silly things that I did in my life. And, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm here. Yeah. I'm grateful. I, I, for a start, I'm grateful I didn't go to prison. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been awful. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I kind of feel like uh, I've given myself a, you know, a, a second lease of life, basically. Yeah, and yeah. I'm really, and I'm really grateful for that. Well, a day at a time. Well, let's go all the way back. So you actually grew up in England. Maybe some people still don't know that. Or yeah, you were born, born there. In, yeah, I was born in a place called Barnet, which is in North London. Um, my dad's from the northeast of England. Um, he was from a place called Stockton-on-Tees. Um, so he's a Geordie, really. He right. was a Geordie. Yeah. Um, and uh, my mum was born in Egypt. Uh, she, she lived in Suez. And my dad did his military service in 1948, he went off to the Sudan um, for two years, and on the way back, they stopped in the English, the British military camp in um, in Suez. And my mum was one of the secretaries at the army camp. Right. And they fell in love, and um, she was 18; he would have been 19. Um, and he basically. Cut a long story short, he basically whisked her back to, to England and they got married uh, like a year later. So dad was just 21 and mum was just 20. So they were, you know, it was, mum had never seen rain before. <laughs> right. You know, so, yeah, so I like to tell people I have an Egyptian mummy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you were obviously, you moved out to New Zealand. Um, yeah. Do you have... Actual concrete memories of your time in England? Uh, yeah, I, I was nearly six when we came here. Right. So, um, so I do. I remember, you know, my first day at school and all that sort of stuff. Um, I do have um, have memories of it, but I think they've been, um, uh, you know, uh, we we had a lot of photos and a lot of home movies and stuff. So that's kind of helped me remember all those times. Yeah. Yeah, um, but I do remember the family talking about moving to New Zealand. You know, I mean, I didn't know what that meant. Yeah, but uh, and I know it was a big thing for my. You know, Ian was nine, and my older sister Dorothy was fifteen. Right. So it was made. It was major, major for, for them. Yeah. You know, both of them. Yeah. Um, it's Ian especially. I think you know, it really kind of it, it, he didn't really want to go. So, uh, but I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. <laughs> that sounds like a good place to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So we we were one of those classic families in the in the mid sixties who emigrated. 
Yeah, yeah. You know? And and um, yeah. And where does music come into the story? How early? I mean, obviously, you can go back and say, well, we we were actually living in England when music, yeah. rock and roll, was really kicking off. But I've got a I've got a I've got a sister who's ten years older than me. Yeah. So when the Beatles hit, she was thirteen. Wow. You know, so thirteen or fourteen. So. Uh, you know, the house was, uh, and she bought all those singles, God bless her. Yeah. You know, all the Beatles, the Stones, the Bee Gees, Herman's Hermits, Donovan, you name it. You know, yeah. she bought it. And um, and it was it was big. You know, it's a big thing in our house. And, and my mum and dad were, were they loved music. Um, you know, my mum was, was in the choir and there was a piano in the house. And they, my parents both played, but they couldn't really play by ear you know and there was always christmas carols and there was you know we always sang um and then when we came to new zealand um we you know that carried on but we used to do these tapes back to our aunts and uncles in the in um we had a tape recorder a little four track kind of tape recorder thing where you could have four sides of the tape you know it was uh um and um, we used to send um, tapes back and forth to our aunts and uncles, and we used to sing and, you know, and tell stories and tell jokes and just, you know, and Dad used to fill them in on what's going on. We're building a house, you know, the boys are going to school here and Dorothy's going to school here. And, and we just carried on and carried on singing, and Ian and I were in the, in the scouts and the cubs, so there was a lot of singing there, uh, gang shows, all that stuff. Um and, and Ian and I started uh, doing, you know, play. he got a guitar for Christmas one year when he was about eight or nine. First Christmas, actually, we were in New Zealand, so yeah. that was Christmas 1966, so he would have been nine. Uh, he got a guitar for Christmas, and, and we started, you know, kind of singing. He'd play guitar and I'd sing, and yeah, so it's, it's always been there. I've always sung. I, I just, I can't remember a time when I, when I didn't sing. Yeah. It's, it's just something I've always done. Yeah, you yeah. Know, at school, especially, you know, we were we were good Catholics. We went to church every Sunday and sang the hymns, and you know, it's just always there. And so, the um, the kind of popular story is that Ian meets uh, Peter Ehrlich and Dave Dobbin at, at high yeah. school. Yeah, form one. Yeah, yeah. or oh, that that early. Yeah, right. And yeah. so they they start knocking around, and a few people come and leave the fold. But that that eventually leads to the formation of the dudes. Yeah, yeah. There was a there was a few little yeah, um, you know, a few other incarnations along the way. But yeah, that 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 was uh, good Sacred Heart Boys. Yeah, and and uh, to to parallel that, you know, I remember Neil Finn talking about, you know, watching split ends on on. Uh, new faces and writing, yeah. writing the band split ends, writing the name on his pencil case the next day. Were yeah. you, were you a bit like that? Were you in totally. the wing, in the wings, watching Ian the whole time? Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I, I was their biggest fan. Uh, uh, you know, they came and played at the St Pius Church <laughs> Hall. You know, uh, they did a, like a youth group. They played for our youth group, and you know, I would have been in, I guess, maybe fifth form. Uh, it would have been about 1976, and then they they won the Battle of the Bands. I was there for that, um, uh, and then they played the school ball in 1977. I was in sixth form. You know, I was there, and and I went to. Uh, I used to play the Glendowie Tennis Club, and 
you know, and I used to go to, <laughs> I remember going to see them there. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then I remember, I must have been in my last year at school when Ian started sneaking me into the Windsor and, and he'd sneak me in out, the, you know, through the back door yeah, and yeah. hide me behind the PA. And if the cops arrived, he'd just say, bugger off, and I'd, you know, nip out the back door. So, yeah, there was that. We went, I remember travelling to Napier one one summer uh, with a couple of mates driving down in my old car and um, seeing them play two nights at the Cabana. You know, we yeah. were still at school. Classic. Sleeping on the beach. You know, that sort of stuff. So, <laughs> Yeah, I was the I was their biggest fan. Yeah, you know, and I still am. I still am. Yeah, <laughs> even though I'm in the band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so you what 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 are you planning to do? Have you got a plan at this point? Like as you're finishing school? Um, no. Because I, I I know I know you basically you become the dude's roadie, but you have a job yeah. before that. But it's not like a career or anything like that, is it? No. When I left school, I, I had to repeat sixth form because I flunked six of them so badly I, yeah. I, I, I was lucky enough to um, go back and repeat six of them um, mainly because I played sport and I you know, wanted to go back and play sport so, yeah, uh, yeah. but anyway um, uh, I left school, walked out the gates and had no idea what I was going to do, none was, I didn't know yeah. uh, I worked, my dad found a, um, a job uh, in, or you know, an ad for a job at a travel agency uh, Travel Globe and um, Custom Street in Auckland uh, as an office junior. So I applied for that and I got the job amazingly mm. out of 150 applicants. Me and another guy, actually, they couldn't separate us. Andrew Gay, his name was. Still in touch with him today. Um, and three weeks later, I got offered the job as a roadie with the dude. So this is January 1979. Mm. Um, I'd been working with Travel Globe for three weeks and um, Charlie Gray called me into his office one night at the Island of Real where the dudes were playing and said, we want to offer you a job. And I said, give me a second to think about it. Yes, please. <laughs> um, so I handed in my notice and um, at Travel Globe and uh, the next weekend I was in Whangarei with the dudes at the DB Onarahi. Yep. And... Um, yeah, that was the <laughs> I sold my soul to rock and roll. <laughs> and what did being a roadie mean to you? I mean, I know what it meant to you in terms of great. I'm part of the, you know, I'm connected to the band. But did you know what you were doing at all? Nope, no idea, <laughs> no idea whatsoever. I just remember um, the first gig at the Onerahi. You know, they had a very small PA in those days. They yeah. had like two PA speakers and three monitor speakers and a pa one power amp. Uh, you know, and a, a mixer that was, eight, you know, an eight-channel mixer. And it was very, very basic. And I had no idea how to put it all together. Um, Dave showed me, you know, basic, the basics. I think Ian and the rest of them went to the public bar. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave and I set up the PA. Um, Dave used to call me his attorney in those days. That's <laughs> <laughs> a little bit like fear and loathing. Yeah. Uh, um so, but I learnt really quickly, you know, it was, an, it was um, a, you were, you a were hungry for it. Yeah. And it was a baptism of fire really. Mm. And, and uh, those first couple of months, you know, we toured 
the country and it was like I, I was just like a pig in shit. You know, mm. I just loved it. Because, mostly because I was seeing my favourite band every night uh, and, and hanging out with my brother who I idolised, you know, and, and his mates who, who you know, I'd, I'd loved for years and years and years since yeah. I was seven years old, you know, yeah, I'd yeah. these guys. So, um, yeah, so it was it was just so cool. Um, but they got big very, very quickly in that year, 1979. Yep. Yeah, they they started to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, every time we went to a went back to well, because we we basically toured for nearly two years, and it was just constant. Every time we went back to a new town, the numbers were twice as big. You know, so they had to get bigger PA. You know, lights and you know the 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 road crew got bigger. We got a lighting technician. We got a proper sound engineer. We got a road manager, you know, and me. We had a four-man road crew, which was unheard of. Yeah, yeah. Um, so all the way through 1979, it was um, just, I, I, and I didn't really live anywhere. I lived at my girlfriend's place, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and home. just... <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and, and, yeah, it was just a whirlwind of, you know... Because they only released a couple of they only released a couple of records really, and and there are no bad songs at all in their catalogue. No, that's right. <laughs> it's it's basically like they released a couple of greatest hits albums, or you know, a greatest hits EP and an album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because uh, you know they they didn't have any kind of hit singles. No, or anything, no, you know, which was amazing. They were a live band, you know. They were just a great uh, on their night. What, probably, you know, the greatest rock and roll band in the world. You know, yeah. as I believe at the time, Hello Sailor were as well on particular nights. Dragon is the yep. same. Yeah, I think probably any band, you know, on their night is probably the best rock and roll band in the world. But yeah. Yeah. the dudes, the dudes were consistent. They were so consistent, and um, and the crowds just loved them. You know, and um, it was so different then, you know, hard for people to understand. But, you know, radio did not really play New Zealand music. Um, there was no, it's so healthy now, you know, um, for New Zealand acts. Um, yeah, but yeah. back but back, back then, it, it, there was no such thing as New Zealand on the air or, you know, or anything like that. No, um, but if you wanted you know, to go and do the slog, you actually could do the slog, right? Like these these yeah. bands you're talking about were doing like lunchtime concerts at high schools yeah. and then playing a pub, you know, six nights a week. Yeah, we did a 52 school high school tour. So yeah. we played 52 high schools in 19, through the middle of 1979. And that was sponsored by the ANZ Bank, who basically <laughs> bought us a truck, which was great. Yeah. We had their logo on the back and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, we would do high schools, maybe not every day, but it were for about, maybe about three months or, you know, it was like a good three or four high schools a week. And, yeah, you're right. We'd do a high school and then, in the, you know, at lunchtime, and then we'd go and set up, you know, we'd play Palmerston North, Boys High or whatever it was, and then we'd go and play at the Awapuni and and the, you know, at night. Yeah, know? and then that was that was all over the country. Yeah, yeah. You know? so, and and so what happens when the dudes implode? I guess you're transitioning to the the crocodiles. Yeah, I fell into a deep depression. Mm. 
uh, I shouldn't laugh because it, it was actually quite serious at the time. You know, we there was a lot of substance abuse with the dudes, and and you know, I I I, I kept up with them, put it that way. Yeah. And and when when that all stopped, uh, yeah, I was just I think we all were. I was just exhausted. And and I had the big come down, you know. It took about three months really for me to kind of get my head together. And and during that time, as I alluded to before, Mike Chun was trying to get me to work with the crocodiles. I went out to my mum and dad's place in um, in Hanua. They were out in the country in South Auckland, and I, I basically just you know just kind of had a bit of a breakdown out there. And then I then I then I. Kind of got my ass, you know, into gear and got my shit together and and started working with the crocodiles and yeah. that was the next little, you know, the next little chapter of yeah, my yeah. life. But it was it's the first time I've ever been, you know, I've ever been in that kind of um, depressed state, you know, which which has unfortunately been a part of my life ever since, you know, and yeah. and bits and bobs, um, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> And uh, tell me, when do you, how does the song uh, Nobody Else Come About? <laughs> um, well, after the Crocodiles disbanded, uh, I, I was in Australia for a little while. I went and lived in London for a couple of years and and then back to Sydney for a year. And in that whole time, I'd started really concentrating on writing songs. I just thought, I just want to, write songs. It's all I wanted to do. And I bought a four track machine and I, you know, and I just spent every waking hour really just trying to write songs. And, and, um, when I got back from London, uh, well, I guess that would have been like the end of 86 or something like that. Um, I wrote a batch of songs and I started sending all my demos to Ian who was in Wellington at that stage. Yeah. I was in Auckland. He had a studio in Wellington called Soundtracks, and they were doing recording television commercials and, you know, that sort of basically jingles and doing very, very well. Um, and I used to send all my demos to him, and he rang me one night out of the blue and said, I think he was a little bit pissed, but he, he, said, <laughs> he said, that, there's a song in there, nobody else. He said that's a that's a that's a hit record. I reckon that's a hit record. And I was like, what? I couldn't couldn't see it. It was like a country song when I wrote it. Um, yeah, I was going to ask yeah. what was your what was your original treatment like? Obviously, just you a, on a guitar singing it. Yeah, it was it was actually quite similar. Mm. Like the guitar, especially, and was quite similar. Uh, but it was a country song, and I had the country twang. Mm. You know, there's nobody else. You know, um, <laughs> But it, the structure was was kind of there, yeah. not, not totally, but um, it, it even had a little monologue in it, like you know, the, yeah, right. The, the guy the guy goes off on his horse and into the <laughs> sunset, you know. And that it was it was dreadfully tragic, but um, uh, so yeah, he he suggested that I go down to Wellington for a weekend and and maybe record, you know, just come down, we'll crack a, open a bottle of. Um, a bottle of brandy and, you know, roll a few spliffs and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's what happened. Yeah. Um, he, he had a very concrete idea of the tempo and how it should be. And, and we just spent a weekend just, um, uh, you know, putting a rhythm track down, drums, drums and guitars and 
a very basic kind of arrangement and and um, and some vocals and and we left it and I went back to Auckland and thought nothing of it and and the next month he released the game of love yeah. under the moniker of text pistol and he had a number one hit with it <laughs> now some so, people have said um was he really just kind of goofing off doing that? Like, was it a bit of an like? Obviously, it's a great performance, but was was the text pistol thing a bit of an elaborate piss take? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, he, he was a prankster, always, right? Like, he was a prankster. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he wanted to release music, but he just always thought that Ian Morris wasn't a very you know, yeah, yeah, very yeah. That's very sexy name. Wasn't yeah, it? I don't know. Yeah. Um, so he developed this moniker, obviously, you know, piss take on the Sex Pistols. And, and yeah. we were very into country music in the 80s. You know, um, he turned me on to country music. And um, it must have been through us being friends with that, the guys from Ty Happy, Daggy and the Dickheads, who we both <laughs> worked with. He produced them, and I worked with them as a sound engineer and through 1983. And they were very much into country music. And... Um, so anyway, you know, he just had this moniker of Tex Pistol. And, um, yeah, so he released The Game of Love. It was a, it was a number one hit, um, which no one expected, mm. as great as it was. Mm. Um, and, and all of a sudden, Trevor Ricci at Pagan Records, who released The Game of Love, was like, shit, we need a, <laughs> we need a follow-up. And Ian said, well, working on this song with Ricky, and I reckon it's a hit. And Tre- I, don't, I don't know whether Trevor actually kind of really heard it, you know, as a hit. But we worked on it for the next sort of, well, he worked on it mostly, uh, for the next, I don't know, it took ages. It was a year between doing that first rhythm track and releasing it. You know, he he worked on it. He recorded a whole, you know, instrumental yeah. part, a sol- solo. He wrote that. I had nothing to do with that. Uh, you know, um, and he just took it on himself as as a little project, you know, and... Um, and when Trevor heard it, I think he went, oh, shit, I get it now. Okay. But how are we going to release this? Because Ricky's written it and Ricky's singing it. So yeah. how do we get Tex Pistol on board? So anyway, we released it as Tex Pistol with Ricky Morris. Yes. Yeah, so you, you, it, that's quite interesting, that's, isn't it? It's quite a unique position that you're a featured guest on your own, actually your own creation. Yeah. Although he produced it yeah, and yeah. recorded it. Yes, it became and, a co-creation, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I sang on it and I played all the guitars on it and the rest of it was him. Yeah. You know, so um, I sang all the all the vocals, all the backing vocals, everything, you know, and, and it was it was just a, it was just, a, you know, one of those magic moments, you know, <laughs> where, um, uh, you know, I just knew, as he kept sending me, rough mixes of stuff that he'd been doing through that whole year, I was just like, this is going to be huge. I just knew. I yeah. just was like, there's no way that this can't be a hit single. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, as I said before, you know, you've got to be careful what you wish for. I was just going to say, how how long after was it that you regretted wishing that success upon yourself? Uh, I've never regretted it. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, if I could have bottled that feeling, yeah. uh, you know, because... It was so pure and so innocent, and you know, I was so naive. Um, but I was also 28, so yeah. I'd kind of been around a bit. You know, I had, had the shit kicked out of me in London, and you know, like as far as being on the dole and you know, doing disastrous things to myself. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. You know, um, 
So I kind of felt like I was ready, you know, it wasn't just a flash in the pan. I'd actually been, you know, crafting my songwriting. Yeah, you'd served your apprenticeship. Yeah, for a long time, and I'd hung out with some pretty cool people, you know, uh, like like the Crocodiles and and everyone that I'd worked with, you know, uh, through that time. Yeah. um, I'd started doing sound again for people, you know, like I did a bit of work with the Waratahs and... Amazingly, I did some gigs with people like Shona Lang and, um, you know, doing sound for them. And, and, you know, it all rubs off. It all rubs off on you, I reckon. Yeah, totally. Um, And, yeah, it's like you can hear your, you know, you're talking about the singles that your sister brought into the house back in the UK. And you can hear those things in your sound always, I think. You know, not just the Beatles, but the Bee Gees hugely. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Beach Boys. Yeah, I, I love you know I love harmony. I, I think I'm a, actually a better harmony singer than I than I in a, in a lot of ways. I hear harmonies when they're not there. You know, that's why I love Crowded House so much, especially yes. when Neil and Tim were singing together, because I always used to put like and say um, it's only natural or you know those great Crowded House songs. I I add a third part harmony that isn't even there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I love harmony and I yeah. love working out harmonies. Well, talking um, talking harmonies and, and mentioning the Beach Boys, I did I did text you this afternoon and warn you that I was going to bring up the uh, the follow up attempted hit single <laughs> to Nobody Else. But that is a, you know, I listen to that now and go, that's a banger. Like, and and it's uh, very overtly a Beach Boys referencing song, isn't it? Very much so. You're yeah. talking about come come back, Louise. Yes. I, d- I yeah, didn't want yeah. to say it in case the title was triggering. That's why I texted no, no, it no. to you. It's a good I song. That. I love that song. Yeah. And, and I wrote it on like one of those little teeny genie organ things that kind of plays itself. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, pr- you press one key and it kind of, it's got its own drum beat and its own bass line. And, you know, and I, I, my dad bought it. You know, it's probably quite expensive in 1986 or seven. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I just wrote it um, very quickly and thought, I've got a niece called Louise, and I just thought, I've always loved that name, and um, and it, it was one of those songs that just kind of came really fast. But and Ian loved it. He was yeah. like, "Oh my god, this is the this is the follow up, absolutely the follow up." And we spent so long on the harmonies, you know, like we just <laughs> spent hours and hours working out the. So there's like four different parts going on. Yeah, and and they're all they've all got three-part harmonies and they're all quadruple tracked you know so yeah. it's like it's about 80 <laughs> vocal tracks on that yeah and, and, and you like, listen to it now and you can it. you can hear that you can hear the care and the uh commitment that went into it and yeah. and it really does feel like that it is the correct and logical thing to follow up nobody else yeah yeah it's, it's an interesting one because After nobody else in um, nineteen, so we're talking nineteen eighty nine. I worked on on a television show, Mm. a kids show called Three Forty Five Live. I I was a kid who watched. I was a kid who watched it. And so many people still go, "Oh my god, I remember you on Three Forty Five Live." You know, you and Fenella. Yeah, Yeah. I'm still in in touch with all the time. By the way, yeah. yeah. and uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, I think people got a bit... Uh, Comeback Louise was released halfway through that year, basically, 1989. Yeah. And I thought, you know, Ian, Trevor, Ricky, at Pagan, myself, we all thought, it's just going to go through the roof because you are on 
a kid's show. It's going to go through, and it just skipped. <laughs> it didn't even chart. Yeah. It didn't even get in the top 50. And I think people got confused. I yeah. think they thought that maybe I wasn't actually a singer-songwriter. I was just, and now I was a TV presenter. I think people got very confused and as to what I, I, I was confused. <laughs> yeah. Um, as to what I really was, you know, um, what, what I wanted to do. You know, and I loved doing TV. I loved it. It was amazing. Um, and I did a, you know, a few other things to, uh, on TV as well. You yeah. know, and I always thought, I always thought I was, uh, without blowing, you know, I hate saying I was good at it. But, but you I, could I do it, and you liked it, and it came it across and well. It. Yeah. Yeah, and I just felt like it was the most natural thing in the world to be in front of a camera. Um, so, um, yeah, I think it, it was it was one of those songs that stiffed really badly, but why? I, I don't know, because I, I listened to it today and I think, oh man, it was so it was such a lot of fun to do. Yeah. And Andrew Andrew Clouston um, played that wonderful sax song. Yeah, it, you know? it's amazing. It's just so good. Yeah, totally. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah I, I, so, I feel like that song would have more of a, well, when I say more of a chance today, it's obviously hard for any song to have a chance today. There's so much music, but you know, that song would make more sense in today's climate almost. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, it was very much a case of uh, us wearing our influences on our sleeve, though. You know, there's a lot of um, <coughs> Hurricane Smith, you know, um, uh, oh, babe, what <laughs> do you say? You know, I love yeah. all that. Gilbert O'Sullivan, I'm yeah. a huge, massive Gilbert O'Sullivan fan. I love him to yeah. this day. Yeah. Uh, and the Beach Boys, obviously, you know, there's a little bit of Donny Osmond in there, yes, who I loved definitely. when I was a kid yeah. growing up. You know, it's, not, it's that like that, you know, someone help me, help me, yeah. help me, please. <laughs> I even sing that in the song, you know. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of, you know, those subtle kind of influences, which obviously went over everyone's heads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, and that's the thing. That's what I mean. It's almost like a song that's, ready for an internet-savvy audience that, that has learnt those references or, yeah. can, or can look them up, you know, like because yeah. that's what happens, yeah. you know, sometime in the, in the 90s, a lot of the allegedly twee pop music became very yep. cool and very influential on some quite grunty indie bands because, you know, they, they assimilated that influence and then the fans really got hooked on it, right? Yeah. 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 Well, they... You know, songs don't die. No. You know, this is the thing. There's always a chance yeah. for a song, you know. Um, so who knows? I, I, you know, I've been, again, I've been, you know, promising to put everything I've ever released on, at least on Spotify. You know, yeah. there's very little of my stuff on Spotify. There's Everest, the album, yeah. and and nobody else. And that's it, you know. Because yeah. there's, there's, there is other stuff, you know, there's. There's, there's Come Back Louise, there's Heartbroke, there's um, you know, a, couple, a couple of things that I did with Mushroom, there's yeah. stuff that I recorded with Mushroom that was never released. And didn't you, you know? didn't you record a sort of gruntier version of Nobody Else or, or consider it? Yes, yeah. Um, when we did Everest, um, Eddie Rayner, uh, we, did a, we did a rock version of Nobody Else and a rock version of uh, a song called Heartbroke, which mm. I'd al- al- also released back in 1990. Yeah. But it just it felt so incongruous to me. You know, I just, we left them off the album on my insistence. Yeah. Right or wrongly, Ed was like, you, you're mad. You know, these are great songs. They need to go on the album. And I was like, I just didn't feel comfortable with it. It just felt 
you know, I, it just felt weird yeah. recreating those songs in a different way. And and I don't know. I was kind of stuck by that decision, but um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I just thought it just didn't feel right to me. And I, I guess around this time, you join another band that you are obviously a fan of, as as when the cat's away. Uh, well, I didn't really. I kind of joined. Kind of joined. I, yeah. Uh, well, I, I when nobody else hit number one. Um, when the cats were, a month later, the cats had the melting pot single go to number one. So, and they were organising this big tour, summer tour. And the girls came to the glue pot one night after a rehearsal, I believe, and saw me playing support for the Holiday Makers, who were up from Wellington. They'd had that massive hit yeah. the same year with with Sweet Lovers, a Bill Withers song, are, yeah, <laughs> which no one so, knew at the time, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, so that song was the biggest selling yeah. song of 1988. That was massive. Nobody else was nobody else was the sixth biggest song of 1988. So. Um, so yeah, the holiday makers asked me to support them, and I did a solo thing with a four-track tape machine. You know, as my backing band, and the Cats Away Girls um, were apparently looking for a support act, and they saw me, and I, I knew them all anyway. Yeah, and um, and they said, "Do you want to come on tour with us?" And I was like, "Shit, yeah." So yeah, so I went on that tour, um, and uh, yeah, kind of fell in love with one of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, as I and want to do with female lead singers, uh, yes. Uh, um, and uh, yeah, and um, on that tour, I did actually play in the band uh, uh, on the. They did a, like a glam rock set um, as part of their show, and uh, I came on and played second guitar for about I think it was eight or nine songs. So. So I did the support and then came on later and played guitar with the band, which yeah. was just so awesome. Yeah. We played we played massive gigs that that tour. Massive. Two, three thousand, you know, a, a show. It was big. Yeah. I think yeah. at the time it was the biggest grossing New Zealand tour of all time. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, that sounds it right. Was, it was huge. We did 37 shows in 42 days or something. It was just mental. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, we I mean, they totally were... Stuck. They just sort of overnight became household names, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They did. They were all kind of successful in their own way, yeah, but not kind of majorly. Um, you know, Annie had done. Um, Annie and Kim had done um, the Netherworlds today. Yeah, yeah, the Netherworlds. Margaret, of course, was with them. Was with Peaky Peaky Man. Man. Yeah. Uh, um, Annie, uh, sorry, um, <laughs> Diane. You know. Um, had, was with everything that flies, and was you know just kind of coming up through the ranks. Who yeah. this? Oh, Debbie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> of course. So Debbie had her own kind of career going on as yeah. well, and was had been releasing some singles, and um, and and you know just they were all just kind of simmering. And De- Debbie had kind of had, was had worked for a record company too, right? Like yeah. so, she was sort yeah, of had had, had an too. industry background too. It was it was her brainchild. Yes, you know, people may may. Yeah doubt that but it was totally her thing yeah, yeah. it was her baby yeah, she yeah. was the one who who, who you know no, I've, together, I've got I've got her on tape as part of this podcast telling her her version of it and that's consistent you know she sort of yeah. she sort of politely says you know not to take it away from anyone else but I, right. I did cock it up like it was her it, it was, it was his she recognised that this was a blend of voices and personalities that would work for as long as it did yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah, most definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was very good. She was very good at that. You know, she managed me for a little while in Australia when I was, um, you know, um, uh, with Mushroom, and yeah. um, it was a little. It was kind of weird in those days. I'm, I, I think a lot of the Aussie guys, you know, found it a little bit spinal tap. You know, right? Uh, like, you know, not, a little bit like um, Michael Davidson Hubbins or would it? No, is it Davidson? Davidson Hubbins. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What's his girlfriend's name? I can't remember. Oh yeah, yeah. I can't now either. You but know? I've got a picture of her. Yeah, yeah. I hope you like our new direction. Yes. You know, I, I think there was a little <laughs> bit of that going on. Yeah. But yeah. she she was very good at you know at that at managing road managing and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. She yeah. Was yeah. In the industry. And so, and so you're and you're also like able to combine that with you're basically you're the stay at home dad. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, when we first went to Melbourne, yeah, in yeah. nineteen ninety, yeah, um, yeah. Debbie and I went to Melbourne, and <coughs> our son Marlon was six six months old. And within a couple of months, Deb was um, on the road with Jimmy Barnes as a backing vocalist. That's right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, which lasted at about eighteen months. I mean, she was away a lot. Yeah. But it was just so lovely because you know I got to spend. As hard as it was, you know, I got to spend time as a house husband, yeah, which had its moments, believe me, but it was, <laughs> yeah. it was, it was really special yeah, and a really lovely time of my life, you know, because I was writing and, uh, and demoing stuff at, you know, next door at Neil's. And of course, Neil and Sharon had a, had a nanny <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and Elroy is five months older than Marlon. So it was like, yeah, go upstairs and record Marlon could stay here with Elroy and the nanny, you know, so it's like, it was perfect. It was a perfect situation. Yeah, it was yeah. really cool. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, and yeah, and you've got yeah. this idea or Debbie's got this idea and you have that, you, you, you've signed a publishing deal and you're basically going to be a songwriter for hire. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I went to Melbourne for. I just wanted to write songs. It's what I've always wanted to do. Because you didn't want to be a pop star. No, not, not really. Yeah. I just sort of thought if I had that, you know, uh, I'd been signed to Mushroom Publishing to write songs, but the, there was they got a new guy in A and R, a guy called Bill Page, amazing guy, a really neat guy. They they kind of headhunted him, headhunted him from Adelaide Radio, and he heard my songs and went, "You're the vehicle for these songs, mate. We're going to sign you." we want to sign you to Mushroom Records. Mm. We're going to make a record with you, you know. I think Mushroom at that stage were looking for, you know, a, a, a middle-of-the-road guy. Like, yeah. there was a guy in, a, in Australia at the time called Rick Price. I don't know whether you've ever heard of Rick I've heard Price. the name, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was big. He, mm. he was really big. I think he was on Sony, uh, one of those labels. And I know that Mushroom were looking for some more middle-of-the-road guys, you know. and Because and, they either had Kylie... Or they had Nick Cave, you know, it was sort of like they had no one kind of straight down the middle of the road, you yeah. know. So they they basically signed me on. Bill Page said, "You're going to be the, you know, we're going to do an album with you." But as so often is the case, you know, Bill's unfortunately after six or eight months, Bill's wife got homesick and Bill left, and you know, the person coming in had was like, "Who are you?" Yeah, has you know? no relationship what with the, you, and what the fuck have, yeah, what the fuck if we, you know. Well, why the fuck have we signed you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not a ma- you're not a mushroom act. So I, uh, you know, halfway through an album, uh, I, you know, I just said, "Lord, you know, let's just call this quits." Yeah. Which they, uh, to their credit, 
you know, I have to give Gabinsky and, and Gary Ashley credit. You know, I said, if you're going to, you know, if we're going to, if you're going to drop me, um, you know, you can't hold on to me, you know, which yeah. is so often the case. Yeah. You know, it's like, you well, we've spent $100,000 on you. We need that back, you know. They, they, they ripped up my contract. They held my publishing, but they ripped up my contract, which I was always really, I thought that was a pretty cool thing to do. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I always really liked Michael Gadinsky. Um, yeah. Very, you know, he was, he was a neat guy and, and very sad that he's gone too. Yeah, so just I, recently too, yeah. 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 And so yeah. you come back to New Zealand. Yeah. And you're a bit disillusioned? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I, I basically, you know, we had a young son and, and soon to be a, a daughter as well. Yeah. Born in 1994. And I basically went out and became a working musician, playing in pubs. You know, doing corporates, got covers. a band together, covers, yeah, yeah. totally, just all, all covers. But didn't, never stopped writing. You know, God, I even auditioned for the Jesus Christ Superstar thing, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, Jesus, you know, I'd do anything. Yeah. And and I, and I was busy, you know, I was busy, um, really busy working as a as a working musician playing yeah. covers. Um, and I remember going to a party one night and um, mutual friends of Ours and Mike Chums and um, just at a private house, you know, somewhere, and they wanted me to play some covers, but they said, "Look, play some of your own as well." And Eddie Rayner was there. He'd just just come back from living in Melbourne. Yeah, it would have been ninety four, I guess. And uh, and he heard these songs of mine, and I'd met Ed through Neil, obviously, mm. and um, and he said. Some of those songs are bloody good. <laughs> so I ended up demoing a whole bunch of songs at his studio out at the old Revolver complex out in, um, oh, where is it? Um, Par Road in yep. Epsom there, and um, which is now a lovely warehouse, um, <laughs> warehouse stationery or something. <laughs> um, and um, we ended up doing, he ended up producing an album for me, which was great. Yeah. And that's Everest. Yeah, that's Everest, yeah. And, I mean, I remember Everest when it came out, and that was, like, just a few months after it came out was when I sort of got my first record store job. So I remember it as a as still a fairly new release that, yeah. you know, we sold some copies of it and we played it in store, and I liked it at the time, but it wasn't a follow-up. No, it was... Again, it kind of it met, it, the album never charted. Yeah, and and I think World Stand Still, which was the first single, I think it was like number thirty nine or something. You know, for one week. Yeah, um, it just fell between the cracks, and yeah. and you know the record. I, basically, I couldn't. Uh, we did it through Revolver Studios. George Shishkoff and Willie Young, who owned the studio, basically said to Eddie Rayner, "Look, we're prepared to give you studio time if you think there's something there." That, could, that you could record. We'll give you the studio time, but we own the tapes. And it was, and it was like, well, you know, we'll do this album with Ricky. And they were into it. They were really into it. And they were, they were really supportive, I have to say. Um, and, um, but then we had to go and shop it. You know, we had to go and find a record deal. And again, all the majors here were like, I remember going to see Paul Ellis, God bless him, I'm his good friend um, at Sony, and he was just like, don't know what to do with this, mate, because, you know, you've got, um, it's almost like you've got a reputation as this kind of 
what are you? Are you a are you a TV presenter? Are you a songwriter? Are you a pop star? What are <laughs> yeah. you? You know. And the same with EMI. I think Chris Caddick at EMI was a little bit hesitant. We we I formed my own label called Criminal Records, <laughs> and um, we went to see um, James Southgate at Warner's. And James was quite new to New Zealand, yeah. And he didn't—he didn't know my history. He'd only been in the job for a very short period of time. He just listened to the album and went, "Fuck, that's great! That's amazing!" And he said, "We'll license it. You know, you, you know, we'll do a licensing deal." So they re- they released it, but they had so much trouble getting it on radio because. You know, the rock stations were like, it's not rocky enough. Yeah, yeah. And the easy listening stations were going, it's too rocky. So it's like, you know, the, the, the record company was, or the, you know, the, the reps at the record company were saying, look, we need, we need different mixes. We need, World Standstill would be a hit, you know, on the breeze or whatever, if you'd just take some of that Joel Haynes electric guitar out, you know. And I was like, but that's what makes it what it is, you know. It's like, oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And the rock was, you know, the rock stations, Haraki and all those guys were going, oh, no, it's not rocky enough, you know. And I was like, oh, well, I just thought, oh, fuck it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And we released another single called um, These Dark Moods, and and it just nothing, you know, didn't didn't get any radio play. And I just thought, oh, that's it. I've had enough, Uh, you know. I've had enough. That's a song that um, is you acknowledging the actual dark moods and depression in your life. Yeah, totally, yeah. And it was one that, that um, uh, I I really struggled with the, with the lyrics for, mm. for a long time because I just thought, I can't write lyrics like this. This is just, you know, no way. And I actually wrote a, a complete other set of lyrics, which was like a love song. And, um, you know, Eddie, Eddie Rayner was so good because he, he would... He made me look at my lyrics so much more. You know, he'd go, Jesus, Ricky, you know, you write great songs, but they're always bloody love songs. You know, <laughs> why do they always have to be love songs? So, so he said, look, why don't you take these dark, you know, these dark moods, which I think was a totally different title in those days. Can't even remember what it was. And he said, why don't you write some really good kind of introspective lyrics? So I, I thought, right, okay, I'm going to use these lyrics that I'd come up with. And I came back and sang them to him. He went, "That's more like it. That's you, you know." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cool. A song about depression. Ah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I so, mean, I, yeah. feel, I feel like again that song's probably a little bit, a little bit. I mean, I'm not I'm not suggesting it's the first song about depression, but a little bit ahead of its time. Like, it, you know, might have yeah, might find a, a a better audience now. Yeah, I guess so. I, you know, it's again, it's like being in the eye of the. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't see things like that, so it's interesting that you would observe that. But yeah, um, yeah I, I just uh, I love that album. I'm yeah. so proud of that album, yeah. and I listen to it now and just go, "Shit, that's a good album." Because it's a shit hot little band. Yeah, you know Wayne, Wayne Bell playing drums and Clinton Brown and Tony Lumsden playing playing bass and um, Joel Haynes, Mark Bell playing guitars and Eddie yeah, playing a, keyboards. It's a dream all team. Over it. It's a dream it team. It was just, it was incredible. Yeah. You know, it was just such a great, and Debbie did some wonderful um, backing vocals. Yep. And, you know, it's it just a, a really good band playing in a studio, you know. Yeah. And, um, 
Yeah, I'm very, very proud of that record. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you listen to that record and listen to all the Hammond organ that Eddie plays, that was the Hammond organ he played as we were laying down rhythm tracks. He just played the Hammond organ just kind of reading very basic chord charts. Yeah, wow. And the, the Hammond organ, which he played as we were just kind of working out the songs, yeah. stayed on the album. Wow. That's how amazing Eddie Rayner is. Yeah, he <laughs> really is incredible, isn't he? I mean, when, he's I, when, a freak. I, when I met him a couple of years ago and interviewed him, I was gobsmacked to find out that he wasn't some child prodigy that, no, you no. know, that started at the age of two. Actually, no. he, he started somewhat reluctantly as a late teenager and got really good really quickly. Yeah. Yeah, he is, amazing. Uh, you know, uh, when I think about Split Ends, I immediately, as much as I love the Finn Brothers, yeah. uh, without Eddie, that band would have been no one. You know, they would have been nothing. Uh, and and uh, he, he yep. uh, so many of the hooks are Eddie's. Yeah, and the yeah. arranging, and the, the and you know the surrogate producing, like you yeah. know I know they always had producers, but he's got a producer's mind. Oh, definitely. You know, and so yeah, oh, you hear, sure. all, and certainly an arranger, and and yeah, compositionally he's got his. I mean, I know he's got some credits, you know, but yeah. ho- he's well, got his hooks all in there. Yeah. What he what he did with my songs on that album Everest is just phenomenal. You know, he took these demos, which were very basic demos, and turned them into these. Uh, you know, these amazing songs, you know, like World Stand Still, which leads the album, and is one of my favourite songs that I've ever written. Uh, it, it was a, it was The demo was totally different. I wrote that at Neil Finn's place in right. Melbourne. Yeah. And uh, it, it's totally different. He made the verse into a chorus, you know, and he tried to explain to me, you know, that no, no, that, that's the chorus. And I was like, no, it's not. It's not the chorus, you know, yeah, yeah. and he completely rearranged the song into what it is today. And now it's like, well, that's the song. Yeah. That's Eddie's genius arrangement skills. You know, yeah. he is he is incredible. He, yeah. he is, uh, you know, world-class, phenomenal. Yeah, totally. Uh, mus- just so I mean, good. how many New Zealanders have played on a Paul McCartney album? I, know, I, I know. mean, admittedly, yeah. it's not anyone's favourite Paul McCartney album, but that no, is that is not, not the point. No, you know, no. I, I was at his yeah. house looking at that photograph of him yep. with Phil Collins on one Phil side Collins. and Paul McCartney yeah. on the other, and it's like that is <laughs> that is incredible. People need to know that that happened because yeah. that's a, a peak level. You know, in 1986, that is yeah. peak level of achievement in yeah. music. You know, I've, I've worked with Eddie a few times on some recent mm. Enzo shows as well. You know, yeah. not not the big Enzo in '96, but more recent ones. Yeah, and you know, just being in his presence when we're rehearsing and um, and and you know pulling those shows together and being on stage with him is is really special. And I'm not just pissing in his pocket because yeah. he'll be going, you know, his head his head will be getting very <laughs> big if he's listening to this. But he is. It, it, it's it's quite awe inspiring to be in his presence. Yeah, no, he, totally when, agree. I, when, I, he's in, when he's firing, it's like. Fuck! It's it's really amazing to to um, to be around. He was just yeah. He was quite blown away that he was quite blown away that I loved that album that he did in the mid nineties called Horse, which is an instrumental record. Yeah, yeah. And it's beautiful. Again, it's a real example of his like arranging chops. Obviously, composition too, but and playing, but his arrangements. And he was kind of like, oh, you listen to that, and I was like. 
I love that album. Like that's yeah. one of my favorite CDs to this day. I'm I've still got my copy of it because you're never going to find it yeah. anywhere else now. You know. And when you think about the ends, you know, a, a couple of the, you know, those instrumentals that he used to do at the ends, yeah. like Albert of India and Pioneer. And Coral Sea. Yeah, the Coral Sea. They are quintessential split ends tracks. Yes. They, they're so important yes. to, the, to their discography. Yeah, you know? that's right. And which is, was, I can't remember what the what one was on the B side of I Got You. Um Oh, I can't remember. One of, one of those tracks, one of his instrumentals. I think it's Coral Sea, like, isn't it? Could be, I can't I remember. I think so. Uh, so, you know. I should know, I've got the I Got You single. I was looking at it just last week, so that's why I think it's Coral Sea. He's very clever because, of course, the B-side always got as much money yeah. as the A-side. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. He's, he's very savvy as well. But also, you know. That's another reason I love him so much. Uh, you know, <laughs> Six Months on Leaky Boat is an amazing song. Don't get me wrong, it's incredible, yeah. but... Songs can suffer the overplay. It's a it's a funny thing to to level at a song, but they can become too familiar, and they can you know get a bit spoilt for a time. And yeah. one of the things I think that's so clever about Pioneer is it saves six months in a leaky boat. When you yeah. listen to it in the context of the album, it becomes a whole other thing. I totally agree. Yeah, so it, we, you know, it reminds you, oh, this actually wasn't written to be a hit single. This was written to be a centerpiece of an album, and here's the right. here's the setup for it. And when you hear him play that by mm. himself, mm. wow, it's yeah. like holy shit! That's just a beautiful piece of music. Yeah, so clever, so so clever. I think he just Amazing. went into the stu- I think he told me he went into the studio in the middle of the night and just sort of spat it out as a yeah. as a first take. Yeah, and I could believe that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, Enough about Eddie Yeah, Rainer, yeah, yeah. We've given him too much time. Um, How, but but uh, <laughs> so you, what happens next? You basically go well. The album doesn't succeed on you know on a high level. It doesn't generate no. um, big singles, and so no. you go well. What I'm done with this. Yeah, I, I made a very conscious decision at that point. Yeah. That I was over it. I was in the mid thirties, and I just thought, I, you know, it's I, I just I'm just not interested in doing this anymore. And I kind of had this. I've always had a. Uh, I've always loved recording, so I've always been into recording. You know, I've had four tracks and eight tracks, and you know, I've always been into recording. Um, uh, the process of mm. recording, mm. you know, uh, especially at home, and I always, ha- you know, fostered a dream of running a recording studio and. and in the late 80s, uh, seven, oh, color, where are we? The late 90s, 90s. sorry. Yeah. Um, Debbie and I had started a, uh, a studio in Devonport um, called The Depot. Uh, the bus at The Depot, it was called. Mm. Um, so The Depot was like an art space in, in Devonport, and it used to be the old bus depot. So the building used to be where all the Devonport buses used to live. Um, uh, and they, when when the Devonport Council was um, uh, sucked up into the North Shore Council, you know, um, uh, the, they got left. The council got left with this building, and yeah. um, and it became an art space basically. And a couple of guys built these two rooms down the back of the art space, and they were going to be, I think, more. Uh, rehearsal rooms than anything and then they decided to build this ramshackle little studio and then they ran out of money and I was in the right place at the right time and, and Debbie and I started this um, this studio with the thought of doing 
you know, albums, but also doing um, jingles and soundtracks and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, it kind of coincided with the breakup of our marriage. So it, it kind of, you know, it, it, I, I pretty much took it on, you know, myself. And, yeah. Um, and it became my little space for a good sort of seven years. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and so, this is where you you um you know you you've obviously got this background and you continue to work in live mixing in front of house sound where you have made um, bands sound as good as they can. But this is where you actually start to connect with a whole younger generation of bands, and you're there at the at the birth of yeah. some really significant New Zealand acts. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, a whole new wave of them, I mean. You know, yeah, you've already yeah, been connected yeah. with a significant wave, but I'm talking about things like the Czechs, um, yeah. Finn from the Vales, and yeah. um, there's a woman called Ella, someone or rather. Oh, I think she goes by the name, name Lord now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jim Wigmore. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it was just, it was a weird thing. Again, the eye of the hurricane. Um, Finn Andrews was the first one to come in to that studio um, from Takapuna Grammar. They were all these kids from Takapuna Grammar between like 2000 and 2003 or four. There was like this whole generation of young kids in Devonport yeah. who were all getting into music and all getting into bands and, and forming bands and jamming with each other. You know, it was quite a phenomenon, really. But Finn, Finn came to my studio. There was a knock at the door. I still remember it vividly. I was working on something um, at the time. There was a knock at the door, and this absolutely gorgeous young man yeah. in his school uniform was, at, you know, just at the door, and he said, look, hi, um, I'm Finn, and I write songs, you know, and I'd, I'd like to talk to you about maybe recording, and I, I invited him in, and I, you know, it just, I don't know, you know how you just connect with people yep. straight away. Yep. He, he was like an old soul in a 16-year-old's body. It was the weirdest thing, and he was just like, you know, we just hit it off immediately, and, and his little band, he had a band called God Boy, <laughs> God Boy they were called, and they were just four boys from sixth form in Takapuna Grammar and they came in on a Sunday and I said right you've got six hours we'll, we'll record a few songs and um, they came in and I just threw a few mics up and they you know they recorded live and I think I recorded Finn's vocals afterwards maybe or re-recorded his vocals but it was rough and ready and you know and they were like they were so excited it was so cute but I remember vividly as I was setting up the mics and stuff, getting ready to record. Finn went into the gallery of the the depot, which was you know outside of where the studio was. Yeah. Like, and he started to sing at, with his guitar, and I just thought, holy shit! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is that? Because he hadn't actually sung anything to me. Right. When he came came to visit me, he yeah. just said, "Look, I'm in a band, and I'd like to record." And I went, "Yeah, great, cool, let's do it." And I went out into the into the gallery and just listened to him. And I went, "This guy, I am in the presence of greatness." I, it was just instant. It was like this guy's going to be huge. I now, just knew it because he just had that voice. What happened came, when you What happened when you found out who his dad was? Like for you, uh, like well, you must have been a massive fan. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was getting to that, but yeah. this is the cute bit. At yeah. the end, when I 
when I, when I recorded them, I mixed it down and I burnt off a CD. I had a CD burner and I burnt them all off a CD. Yeah. And Finn, God bless him, it was so cute. <laughs> He'd already printed like a uh, a sleeve for it. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> it so, cute. so it had this one of his original drawings on the front. I've still got it. It's mm. classic. And on the back it had, you know, the songs in order. Yeah. How they were going to be. <laughs> And it had credits and all, you know, thanks to the boys in the band and blah, 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 blah whatever it was. And then uh, it had thanks to my mum, Verve, and, and um, uh, thanks to Barry Andrews and Shriek Back. And, I, you know, anyway, I, I didn't think of anything of it. And then that night I went home and I put it on my stereo just to have a listen to it. And I thought, well, this is pretty good. This is rough around the edges, but shit, he's got a good voice. And, um, and I read the credits and I went, Barry Andrews. And shriek back, what the f- and the penny dropped. <laughs> and I rang him and I said, yeah, you're not related to Barry Andrews, are you? And he went, you yeah, my dad. <laughs> and I was like, fuck no, yeah. XTC. Oh, yeah. I love XTC. Not so much shriek back. I did yeah. like a couple of, you know, um, I, I liked to cut, um, what's this big album? A Will and Gold, was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm but not XTC. a big I'm not a big Shriekback fan either, but XTC all the way. Early, and earlier XTC, you know, Go To mm. was one of my favorite and white music, two of my favorite XTC albums. And know, then some and, of the things that Barry Adams has done, some of those kind of creepy soundtrack stuff and then solo yeah. albums that sound like they should be soundtracks, that stuff's amazing. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, slightly yeah, more he, recent, and, slightly and, more recent stuff, but Shriekback, it's not that I don't like them, I'm just not super familiar. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, he, he's an interesting man for what I can gather. Yeah. Um, and a, a, he's a sculptor and an artist, and, you know, um, it's so funny because, uh, you know, uh, occasionally he'll, um, you know, if I post something on Facebook, because I've done quite a few gigs with um, doing sound for yeah. him over the years, and occasionally Barry will comment, you know, and I'm just like, holy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> this is Barry Andrews commenting, you know. <laughs> I'm a bit of a fanboy like that. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, Finn is so much like his dad in a lot of ways. Um, although Finn's mum probably um, has, has had me up about that because Finn's not like his dad in any way. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but I, I see so many similarities um, in a lot of ways. Um, so Finn, getting back to it, Finn yeah. was the godfather. I call him the godfather. He was the first one who came in. Right, yeah, yeah. And... We did a lot of recording over the next sort of year or so. We, I just went, right, I'm just going to record anything you want to do. You know, you, you just come in here and we'll record it. Mm. So I think we recorded about 25 songs or something. And on the basis of that, he got a record deal. I mean, you know, Debbie actually got him a deal with EMI here. You know, Chris Caddick was like, holy shit, let's sign him up. This is massive. This is, he's going to be huge. But Finn was like, mm, I'm going to go back to I'm leaving school and I'm going back to London. And um, I want to get a record deal in London. And we were like, you're mad. You've you got EMI. No shit, EMI. With, you know, I said, well, Finn, you've got to do what you've got to do. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought, God, I hope that's not the last I ever hear of him. Well, of course, within three months, he's got to deal with rough trade. Which is <laughs> 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 just... Of course he would get a deal with Rough Trade. Yeah, yeah. And and the Veils were born. And, yeah. And the Veils are still going. Yes. I mean, uh, uh, and, and so was born his, his amazing career. Yeah. Um, 
Finn's lovely though. He, he he's he's just so lovely. He always keeps in touch. You know, whenever he even in the past when he's been away all the time, if he ever came back he'd always get in touch, you know, say, How you doing? Shall we meet for coffee or you know even if it's just a a text, you know, like, hey, I'm only here for a day, just want to say hello, you know, it's just so lovely. He's it's, just a lovely guy. Well, yes, but so are you, obviously, because this is a thread that's running through our conversation is that somewhere or other you are staying in touch with pretty much everyone you've ever worked with. Yeah, yeah, I don't like, I don't like to have enemies. No. Some people would say I'm a people pleaser, but that's okay. <laughs> well, it's a good way to not have enemies. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 then uh, carrying on from the mm. Finn Andrews thing, you know, then a lot of the younger kids at Takapuna Grammar were, you know, hearing about Finn Andrews recording at, at the you know at the bus with Ricky, and and the next thing it's you know the checks are, are there, to, you know, and they invite me to go down and see them play at the Masonic, and I, I just fell in love with that band, you know, like big time. Yeah, and they were. Uh, well, they were arguably a, a victim of the music press hype, I think, in a way. Well, it, but yeah. but it certainly worked for them for a while. But I'm just thinking, they were they were talked about as being massive out of nowhere, instantly, and and they really were very good. Yeah, they were. And so I just were, wonder if that were. had some impact on on the band um, kind of imploding. I've got my own. Yeah view on it and I'm not sure I want to Yeah, no, 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 that's fine. I'm not public. I'm not trying to tease that out of you, but I just no, no, you're not. Yeah. I, I just remember not, seeing but, uh, them. I remember seeing them when they were fully formed. You know, I think the record was out or about to come out and they they played they opened for REM who also had um uh who was it? Uh Bright um Bright Eyes playing. Right. And yep. so they were the kind of first opening band, which you normally wouldn't give much of a shit about on a triple bill, but they were yeah. so good that people yeah. were blown away by them. And that was right when they were getting like kind of British music press hype. Yeah. 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 It was yeah. incredible. They, they were, they were amazing. Yeah. I remember seeing them at the Masonic that first time they were at school mm. and, and just, it felt like I was watching the faces in 1973 or something. <laughs> yeah. They, were, they yeah. were just so rough and ready and just so good, you know? And, and you know, I, I, and again, you know, I, this is an observation from my point of view because I was right there. I always felt like, I always felt like, you know, it's obvious that Ed Knowles was amazing. It's obvious that Sven the guitarist Sven mm. Peterson was amazing. I always felt like, I know he, he'll hate me for saying this, but I always felt like at the beginning, I always felt like Jacob, the drummer, mm. wasn't quite solid enough for mm-hmm. him. But shit, he got good. Yeah. You know, he, and this is why I love them so much. Over the course of a year, Jacob went from being perhaps the weak link to, to me yeah. in the band to being the fucking rock of the band. Right. You know? I love that rhythm section. Yeah, yeah. Carell was just such a great bass player and and, and Callum was like the mum of the band. They they were just perfect and, to me. And you and I, and probably quite a few people listening, but I can tell you and I both know that if you want to make a good band really good, have a fantastic drummer, right? They have a fantastic rhythm section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I always felt like the, the drumming was not quite solid enough, but shit, Jacob worked at it, and he worked at it, and he worked at it, and, and he's so musical, and, and you know, he's 
an amazing man. Now you know he's he's doing incredible things with um, with choirs and you know uh, yeah. they they all did that bloody barbershop stuff. You know yeah. uh, those guys in the electric confectioners and yeah, you know, all those guys they were into barbershop and close harmonies and shit like that. And, yeah, it was an, an interesting time. The Electric Confectioners were another band that I just absolutely adored. Yeah. You know, I worked a lot with them. Um, they were amazing. Jason Sheehan uh, is just an absolute genius as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Um, and and a kind of a wayward genius because he's kind of disappeared, which is really sad, I find. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, but just not, he never wanted to be a star, you know, so. And of course, Jim Wigmore, yep. the one who came, you know, another person who, who kind of turned up. Just taking my sweatshirt off, I'm getting yep. hot. Yeah. <laughs> um, getting animated. <laughs> um, yeah, Jim was another one who kind of turned up at my studio and, um, another local girl, um, Jin's um, dad used to be the chemist in um, Devonport. Right. With Moore's Pharmacy. Right. And <laughs> uh, and he, he tragically he um, he passed away when he was like fifty two. He was young. Wow. And and it really um, you know obviously had a massive effect mm. on Jim. Mm. Um, but she came in and did some recording as well. Um, uh, as a, she must have been fifteen, and I, and I had the same feeling when she started singing as I did when Finn started singing. It was like, holy shit. I remember having to actually kind of look through the glass and like, is that actually coming out of <laughs> Yeah, mouth? right. Yeah. You know, she yep. was just, she's got one of those voices that you either love or you don't, you know, and that, they're the ones that will are successful, I, I think, because um, <laughs> it makes people sit up and notice. Mm. And and again, I, I did a lot of work with Jim over the course of a year, and uh, with a couple of demos or songs that we'd recorded, she won the international songwriting competition. You know, in two thousand and four or wherever it was. Yeah, she was like seven, seventeen or something. And and then she got taken under the wing of you know a good friend of mine, Victoria Blood. Yep. Um, and. Managed her for a while, and you know, again, the rest is history. I mean, we all knew she was going to be huge. <laughs> um, yeah, she's amazing too. Right? Yeah. A lot of time for Jen, even though I haven't seen her for a while. Jen, if you're listening, um, <laughs> um, yeah, she's gone on to amazing things. Mm. Um, yeah, Ella, I had very little to do with um, Lord, yeah, but um. But I did record her first demos for um, Universal. <coughs> so in, you know that lap, that, that becomes lounge. that becomes a you know a little bit more than just a footnote, doesn't it? That 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 is quite significant in its way. Yeah, like uh, you know, yeah, I guess, I guess so. Because uh, and it's weird because I, I knew everyone knew Ella. You know, in Devonport, she was just like. This girl who sang really well, and she was in the choirs, and she had her own. She, you know, she did this duo with um, Louis McDonald, and who, who was friends with. You know, they were both friends with Gala, with my daughter Gala. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. and and um, we all knew about Ella being this amazing singer. Um, uh, and Scott McLaughlin actually got hold of me from Universal. He he contacted me and said, 
do you know this girl, Ella? And I went, well, yeah. And he said, look, her father's just, or someone, no, Louis McDonald's father had sent a video of them as a duo playing. And he went, wow, she's a great singer. You know, Scott said, she's a great singer. Um, we're thinking about signing her, you know, to a, um, what do they call it? A development deal or something. Yeah. She was 13. Yeah. She was 13. She was in third form or something, you know. He said, we want to hear what she sounds like recorded, so we're going to do some, do you want to record her? So she she did three covers. She didn't write. She didn't write her own songs at that stage. They just wanted to hear her voice. So I got Stephen Small, friend of mine, Stephen Small, to program up some backing tracks to Teardrop by Massive Attack. Yep. She did a very strange version of Rebel Rebel. And another one, what was it? Hey, Hey, My, My by yeah. Neil Young. Yeah. And we just, she just came around over the course of a couple of days and uh, and sang on these songs. And the weird thing is, is that she didn't want to do any <laughs> any harmonies. <laughs> right. I said, oh, we should put some harmonies on these songs. And she was like, oh, no, I'm not really into harmonies. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was funny uh, when Royals came out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is all harmony. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was it was kind of un- underwhelming. It was just like, you know, they, it was... I mean, having said that, her version of Teardrop is, still makes my, you know, makes my spine tingle. Wow. She's just, inc- she's just incredible. Yeah, yeah. You know, she's just an incredible singer. Um, but I know Scott was like, mm, mm, it's a bit... Mm, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, right. But I, remember, I do remember talking to Ella about... You know, I said, you, do you write any of your own songs? And she said, well, I do, but they're kind of all inside me. Because she didn't really play an instrument. Yeah. And I said, you, you need to find someone, you know, who you can work with. Yeah, to translate it. To write with. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's kind that, of what... That, that seems that to have worked out okay for her. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, that was the feedback that I gave Scott as well, I think. It was like, you know, that she needs to find some people her own age. Yeah. Who who can you know someone who can guide her through the songwriting process, get those ideas out of her? Because I know that she was into writing. Yeah, yeah. You know, her mother's a poet. A, yeah, mother, or a poet. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. She, yeah. No, know, she's quite a, um, a regarded, published poet. Yeah, she's in yeah. some anthologies, and she's you know put her own volumes of poetry out. So she's known. Yep, yep. Yeah, yep. I do remember having a talk to her dad once um, over coffee, Vic. Her parents are lovely, um, by the way. Um, why wouldn't they be? Yeah. Um, and and her was very worried about you know the music thing, you know, because she was so young and she's so bright. Mm. You know, like they were they were hoping I think that she would become a lawyer or something. You know, she was one of those kids, you know, who was incredibly intelligent and clever. I mean, that's obvious to me yeah. now. Um, yeah. She's a very, very clever girl, and but she had very much her own um, thought on things, you know. Um, just the fact that she said, I don't want to do any backing vocals. You know, it's yeah. Like, okay, cool. We won't do any backing vocals. <laughs> it wasn't like there was any choice in it. You know, it's like, no, I'm not doing them. <laughs> um, so, you know, I know Vic was a little bit, um, not worried, but he was like, oh, I just don't want her to get... Um, Distracted by mm. the music thing. You know, maybe when she leaves school, or you know, but but she had other ideas. You know, <laughs> she, and the weird thing is, Simon, is that 
when Ella, you know, I recorded those demos. And would it, was it 2000 and, oh, I can't remember when, what year it was, 2010 maybe? Um, it would have been about 2010. I had a, my studio, I'd left the depot by that stage. I was mm. in, you know, I kind of got my life back together. And I had my studio in my lounge at that stage. And um, so that's where Ella sang in my lounge in Devonport. And um, three years later, Jane, my wife Janie and I were watching the Grammy Awards in that same lounge <laughs> when, she, when she won the Grammy Awards. Wow. It was just this weird yeah. kind of, holy shit, this is what can happen. Yeah. You know? Again, well, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it can happen, but it but it almost never does. So you're there for, uh, you know, you're you've got your story that is attached to that. So that's what I mean. It's it was more, amazing. I mean, I cried. Yeah, you know, it's just like I bet. The, the, the enormity of it. Yeah, was like the full circle was just like holy shit. She that, stood right there and sang her first demos, and here she is picking up. Yep. You know, Grammys. And I don't mean that I had anything to do with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. It's like this, this lovely, uh, I don't know, it's just such a neat feeling. And it was the same with all those acts. You know, I never take, I, I, I would never take credit for anything. No, no, I know that. Because, but it's like, I love to, I always say, you know, maybe I pushed the boat out for them, you know, and just made them realise that I could do it. Well, like, you took them seriously. You took them seriously when someone else in your position might not have. Yeah, I think yeah. is the uh, thing. And you know, I'm enjo- I'm enjoying so many things about this conversation. But one one of the things that I'm thinking about the whole time is your how open you are to music from whatever generation it comes from you know a lot of people love to say that they like all sorts of music but you've actually been there um, helping artists that are nobodies and the fact that they've gone on to become somebody you know you've had you have had a hand in that but it's it's not even about that it's the fact that you were open to the possibility of them because you've never lost sight of how much you love music. So yeah, you, you want to yeah, be there for another yeah. person. But you've got all these stories about connecting with, frankly, New Zealand music royalty from way back as well. Yeah. It's yeah. a pretty cool I, I'm lucky. I, yeah. I'm lucky. It's just I, a pretty really cool lucky. span is, is what I mean, you know. it's And, and you know that because uh, you've lived it. Yeah. I'm, I'm incredibly lucky and, and incredibly grateful and incredibly fortunate to, to have you know, every day is a blessing, as my mum, you know, used yeah. to say. Uh, it's you know, I'm and I continue to be blessed, and and I continue to work with, you know, um, amazing people. So um, I'm, we, I'm very lucky. We teased this right at the start, but basically, you join the dudes. Yeah, well, you know, uh, through no fault of my own. <laughs> but, <laughs> It's my brother's fault. <laughs> damn, God damn you. Um, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So how does all that start? Well, um, Peter Ehrlich rang me about, it would have been, well, when they found out they were basically going to be inducted into yeah. New Zealand Music Hall of Fame, he rang me to tell me. I was working at the time, and he rang me and said, hey, look, you're not allowed to tell anyone, but 
we're being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And I thought, that is so cool. He said, now, I've got a little question for you. He said, you know how usually when you get inducted into the Hall of Fame, as if I'd know, um, <laughs> you know, someone else will sing your, one of your songs. He said, we've refused that. We've all decided that, that we want to play. We want to play. If we're going to be inducted, mm. fuck it. We're going to play. We're going to reform and we're going to play. And he said, we want you to play with us. It's just a no-brainer. We want you to play guitar with us. And, you know, how do you feel about that? And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, all right. All right. <laughs> you know, um, what do you say? Mm. When it's, it's a bit like, Paul McCartney ringing up and saying, "Look, we're reforming the Beatles. Would you like to play?" <laughs> well, it's it's <laughs> it's more than that, though, isn't it? Because it's yeah. it's you playing um, in your favourite band that you worked with and idolised your whole life, but it's also you paying tribute to your brother, and you are the only oh, yeah. person around who who can do that with the proper weight that it deserves. Well, yeah, as Peter Ehrlich said, he said. Um, he said, so yeah, we're, we're looking for someone to maybe play with us. And he said, uh, uh, have you got Brett Adams' number? <laughs> <laughs> Good choice. Good choice. Yeah. No, he was teasing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there are plenty of better guitarists out there, believe me. Um, but, you know, as it was just, a, they all decided it was just yeah, a no-brainer. which is lovely. It's just a no-brainer. And, yeah. and it just, I think it's just... It's a family. That whole dudes thing was such a family, and and you know I said yes, of course I'll do it. And then I got a call from Lorraine Barry, mm, you know mm. Dave Dave Dobbins' manager, who yep. also looks after all the dudes affairs. Um, and she said, look, I know Peter's talked to you, and it's fantastic that you want to be involved. Um, we're all really happy. It was it was a two minute meeting. You know, it was obvious that, you know, we were going to ask you. She said, now, I've got something else I'd like to ask you. Um, We're going to do a tour. (laughs) It's like, oh, shit, would you like to do that as well? (laughs) Oh, okay, all right, I'll do the tour as well. So, you know, which ended up being um, postponed because of COVID, unfortunately. And then, Mm. you know, at the end of 2020, we went out and did 13 shows. Unlucky to some. But very lucky for me. Yeah. And I loved every second of it. And I wish it would continue. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to continue. Um, just so people know that. it's It was a one-off. It's not... It'll never happen again. Um, uh, you know, we, it's... I think... Yeah, I think the rest of us would, but Dave, Dave's not into it. And I yeah. totally respect that. And I totally understand it. Um, He's done a pretty good job of um, not looking back too often in that kind of way, hasn't he? Like he do, yeah. he'll always play the songs, but he's moving yeah. forward and going, "Hey, I'm an entity. I'll pay respect to my past." But like he'll never do the DD Smash reunion. I know that no, he, and I, he won't. He won't do the DD Smash. And I think he, he he only did the dudes thing, you know, really as a, out of respect for Ian. Yes, you know? I, mean, no, I was going to say that. Well, yeah. They were best friends, you know, and and I think, um, I think that was the reason that we toured was to, yes, you know, to really pay pay respect to the songs. Well, look, know? I um, I want to um say this to you that you know I've I know you know I'm a massive Dave Dobbin fan, and even yeah. though we don't know each other well at all, and I've seen Dave play 
you know, my whole life, it was the very first concert I ever saw was Dee Smash. And mm. when I was a little kid, the best time I've ever seen Dave play was when he was touring the Islander, I think, and Ian was in the band. Yeah. And yeah, that, that was great. the greatest show I have, and I've seen him, I've never seen him do a bad show, but that was, mm. I think about that show a lot. And there was just yeah. this special connection connection between the two of them. And Ian yeah. looked, and because I never I never met Ian, we, we, we messaged right. each other a little bit, but I never got to meet him, but Ian looked so happy to be, to be serving Dave's songs. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, that was with Wayne and Wayne. Bell yeah, it was Mark, an incredible Mark band. Hughes. Yeah, yeah, that, that was a great lineup. Yeah, that's a really good. Lineup. I've still got the yeah, I've still got the set list. It's right above my desk in my, in my office at home. It's the yeah, I've got a, cool. a, a handful of set lists there, and that is front and centre. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I saw them a few times around there too. It was, um, yeah, they were great. Ian played a lot of Ebo. Yes, on that. Yeah. Which was which was cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that that was probably a bit of a fad thing at the time because that REM song was out. Yeah, <laughs> you know, with Patty Smith yeah. singing on it. And I wonder if that was, um, yeah, just a, a a bit of a bit of a you know, a bit like when loop pedals hit. Yeah, very much. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I think he found a new toy. Yeah, his toys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, wow. yeah. So you, you loved the shows. Um, I remember I did not go to the dudes, and I, I regret that because uh, I didn't see them in two thousand and five or six or whenever they did that one other time where they did a, yeah. a bit of a run. Yeah. yeah. I, both times the shows were sold out. This time I consoled myself because I saw Dave play just a few weeks before it, and oh, I thought, yeah. you know, yeah. which uh, which was amazing. And I went, well, that's going to be my dudes concert. Unfortunately, that's all I'm going to see. And I just. I didn't even have like a bitterness or a resentment. I just thought it's so cool for anyone who's getting to see the shows. But I know from your social media, you were you were the kid on Christmas every day. You were basically just oh, like, mate. I can't believe this is happening to me still. <laughs> it was, yeah, it, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, the, not just, not just um, being on stage with them, but... Uh, you know, just the realization that I've known these guys for so long. Yeah, and they're all such. You know, we're still all as fucked up as we always were, <laughs> <laughs> and we, you know, we're all we're all pretty comfortable with each other still. You know, I'm still a little bit in awe of Dave. I always yeah. have been. Yeah, um, and I always feel well. And the weird thing is, is that you know, his wife and Alicia and I yeah. were were were. Um, you know, teenage lovers. You know, we were. We. Uh, this is through me that he met his right his wife. So <laughs> wow. There's always a slight kind of not weirdness. But, yeah, sure. You know, that, that's just always there. Yeah. You know, and, and I love Annalisha, and and I know there's no, you know, weirdness there. Yeah. But it's always there. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. It's just so I've always been a little bit in awe of Dave, and his his genius. Yeah. Um. Uh, and, and just the fact that he was, you know, my brother's closest friend, I guess, you know, as well, um, and that I can never be Ian, you know, I, I, I can never be as, I can never fill his shoes, you know what I mean? It was, yeah. But they made me feel so welcome, and it just felt so natural. But the, the thing that got me about being in the band was the, the response from the audience was just extraordinary. Yeah. It was like, holy shit, you know, people really love that band, you know, and and um, and I think that's why I feel a little bit, 
sad that we're never going to do it again because I just think I just look at those crowds and yeah. I just think they went fucking nuts. Yeah. <laughs> It does make it all the more special, though. I, you know, I guess you can look at it both ways. I totally get what you're saying, and gosh, I wouldn't sleep on it. I'd be one of the first to buy a ticket if there was an announcement. But, but the, but the fact that there's not going to be, I think, just makes it really special. Yeah, yeah. If it never happens again, you know. It, yeah, you did it, and it wor- and it worked, and it worked better than you might have, you know, you might have worried that it could have gone. It yeah. went as good as it could. Yeah, you're right, and and people went home very happy, and and you know I I got a chance to sing nobody else, um, yeah, uh, acoustically, and people sang along. I you bet know? it's like wow, this is it's so having a wee cute. it's having a wee renaissance because of course it was it in is. that film a couple of years ago, the Breaker yep, Uppers. Yeah, it has, and and of course um, Tuatara sang it on the mask yep. singing last yep. week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get Jason to re-record it. <laughs> <laughs> Sang it so well. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. It was pretty amazing. But and, that, and but that, real, might, that must be nice because there, there must have been a point where, you know, you you can be proud of that song always, of course. But there must have been a point where the version of that song that existed and the baggage that came with, um, you know, a pop career, as much as you might never have wanted it, the version that came of, you know not having a massive successful performing career on the back of that, at some point that song must have been a little bit of an albatross. Yeah, totally. And it I feels like it feels like you've been able to kind of just own it again. Yeah, yeah. Um I I've I truly believe that, that I've written better songs than nobody sure. else. But but for some reason that song has just it, It's the it one that works. <laughs> yeah. It just connects. Yeah. It just connects with people. And and as, as I say to you know, Jan Hellriegel is looking after all my publishing yeah. right now, and I always say to her, "Wow, the song that just keeps giving." You know, she's just had it. She's she's put it in so many, you know, in a couple of TV things, and, yeah. um, a couple of films, and you know, it's like it just keeps giving. You yeah, know, it's it's amazing. It really is amazing. It's um, I, I'm I'm really proud of it, and I'm proud of you know, the, I'm really proud of. The, um, uh, the fact that I did it with my brother. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's we. The the sadness about about Ian leaving us so early is that you know we were actually thinking about maybe doing some recording again. Yes. You know we we, we talked about it. it nothing concrete, but you know uh, I I need a producer. Uh, you know I really need someone when I record, and I'd been talking to him for ages about how I want to do some recording. Mm. You know, Dropping some subtle hints that you know I can't really find anyone that I really want to produce it, you know. And, and he said, "Well, maybe we could, you know, we shouldn't discount the fact that maybe we could do some stuff again, mm. you know." And but it never came to anything. I was trying to get my life back on track, and you know, and, and then he left, and yeah, it's taken, you know, it's. it's so I'm proud of that. I'm proud of everything we did together, and I was so proud to be up on stage, um, uh, you know, taking his place in the booths. Yeah, you know, or in, just, in his honour. Yeah, like, in, totally in his honour. The yeah. whole tour was in his honour. Yes, yes, yeah. No, it's amazing. I mean, what a what a what a musical story, and the new song, which you know, when people hear this conversation, if they listen to it as soon as it drops, we're going to put this out just as you release new music for the first time <laughs> in how long? 25 years. 25 years to the, yeah, yeah, nearly to the day, yeah. 
amazing. It, it, you know, it's, it seems just, you know, it seems silly, really, you know, because I, I, I in, a, in a lot of ways, I should never have stopped yeah. doing it. You know, and Well, I it's talk- not like you've turned your back on music. You've enabled a lot of no. people and... Uh, you know, can helped music connect with a lot of people, and you've had a family to to provide for, and yeah, yeah. and your own soul to nourish and, and cleanse, which you've yeah, done. True. Yeah, yeah, which I've done. But yeah. I look at someone like um, you know, like Greg Johnson, who's a really good friend of mine, and I've sure. worked so much with Greg doing yeah. sound for him over the years. And I I look at his career, and and, and I think you know, what well, he's just about to drop his eleventh album, yeah. or is his twelfth? You know. It's like, holy shit, he's doing an album every couple of years, you know, and, and I kind of feel like that could have been me, you know. I, I'm a bit jealous of Yes, it. but have you had the conversation with him? He's probably a bit jealous of you because his, you know, that that, that battle's been pretty hard fought, I would imagine, because yeah. he yeah. falls in and out of favour with critics and, and, and with withholding an audience and he's, you know... Look, he's well, really, he's really, really good. You know, we all know he's yeah. really good. But I, I know from my experience listening to his albums, he's lost me, and then he's pulled me back again. Yeah, and he's yeah. lost me. Yeah. And and lots of people that release ten or eleven albums are going to do that. So that's that's yeah. that's a hard yo-yo to straddle, or whatever the metaphor is. Um, anyway, yeah. isn't it? But the thing is, is that he writes songs and he releases them. You know, I've, yeah. I've, when I when I decided to record, you know, like actually do it. I sent Wayne Bell about 120 songs <laughs> in, in demo form, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And he was like, oh, for fuck's sake, how, how, you know, what am I going to do with this, you know? And he said, you, he said, look, he said, you must have 10 songs that you always go back to. When, when you go to the piano or the guitar, there must be 10 or 11 songs there that you always go back to. Yeah. And he said, just pick those ones, you <laughs> know? So... But what I'm trying to say is that Greg has released 120 songs. Sure. You know, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I get it. But I just I mean? think it's... I've, written, I've written them, but I haven't released them. So this is my first release. And this is just one yeah. song. I've, I, I'm not releasing an album. I'm, I've decided I'm going to release a song now every maybe couple of years. Yeah. If I can. If I but, can finish them. But it's a good song too, because you've let me listen to it, and I've told you this before this conversation. It's a, it's a good song, and you know, you're talking about um, things staying with you the whole time, your influences. You know, and I, I said to you, gosh, I can hear a bit of Dave Dobbin in there. And I mean, again, I mean it in the most, I mean, who wouldn't want to be compared with Dave Dobbin when yeah, it comes to songwriting, exactly. right? Wow. But, uh, yeah, it's and, a huge compliment. And and I think I said to you, kind of twist era Dave Dobbin. So that that's a twofer because what I'm really saying there is Dave Dobbin when he's produced by Neil Finn. Yeah, yeah, I I, I get it. Um, it's it's yeah, it's just it's, it's different for me this song. It's because it's not a, it's a, as my brother would say, it's not a fart lighter. It's <laughs> not. You're not going to be dancing to it. No. Um, and it's not a kind of traditional ballad, even though it's a love song. It's you know it's a song about love. It's what I do best. Um, I write love songs. Yeah, you do. Uh, but, um, which is which I'm you know I, I struggled with for a long time, this, but I, it's what I do. It's just what I do. This is what I loved best. about. This is what I loved about listening to it. I just went here as a guy who has figured himself out. Like you know what you're good at doing, and you're returning to it, and you've got the clarity of um, well, twenty five years of hard-earned wisdom on top of the yeah. apprenticeship that you'd served and already and you've put those two things together and you said you know listen to it under headphones so of course I did 
and it's it's all there, man. It's a beautiful piece of music. Yeah, yeah and, and I thank you, and I appreciate that. And it's uh, you know, it, 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 I, I love the freshness of it because it was it was thought out in the studio. You know, I think I might have mentioned to you, yes. you know, on an email that, that that when I wrote it, it was like a crowded house song. It was yes. quite up and quite you know, quite buoyant and uh, it just had a different feel to it and God bless him, you know, Wayne Bell, this is why I got him to co-produce with me, while, you know, he just went, yeah, his exact words were when we were listening back to the three takes that we did of it, he said, yeah, it's, it's really, you know, the band were going, shit, that's good, it's great, yeah, cool. And Wayne went, yeah, yeah, it is, it's almost too good, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's, sort of, it's sort of like, you know, track seven on an album, you know, it's like, not special enough. Why well, I reckon we should just try it completely differently. Yeah. And so we went in and we just sat around and, and we worked out something different. And he said, let's just all try to play nothing. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, you know, I love Wayne. He's, yeah. he's, a, he's, a, he's an amazing producer and an amazing musician. He and is. an amazing man. Yes, he you is. Know, I love him. I've yeah. known for a long time. Look, I... I, and, I, I and, I don't know Wayne that well, but I feel like I know him, you know, well enough. And I'm such a fan of, again, just his overall connection to music, the way he thinks yep. about it, the way he processes it, and absolutely the way he plays it. Yeah. 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 He, he's a passionate yes. guy. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, and, and then basically we, we did a two takes of it. And the second take, just before we went into lockdown last year, mm. I got Ollie... Oliver Harmer at, mm. at um, the lab to send me all the tracks because you know we did all that recording and I did nothing for two years you know yeah. I'm, uh, with it you know and then basically I took it to my home studio and and added a whole bunch of synths and and um, and Wayne came up with a couple of nice little ideas as well which he sent me you know and. and um, and uh, yeah, and I got a friend in Wanganui to do a um, to do a video for it. You know, yeah. someone that I knew from Depot days. Yeah, I didn't want a traditional music video where I'm sitting there playing a guitar, sitting. Yeah, on yeah, you've done that. You know, I, I'm just you know, I I, <laughs> it's, I find it all a bit tragic having a 60 year old man <laughs> kind of looking down the lens of a camera. You know, uh, so in earnest, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. I got this friend Lisa Curran who who. I knew from Depot days. She's yeah. an amazing artist, visual artist, and she's been experimenting with these, um, you know, visual effects. And I and, and I saw some of them on Instagram, and I went, "Shit, have you ever done a music video?" And she said, "No, but I'd love to." So that so she she's you know I went down and she did a little bit of, foot, she took a bit of um, footage of me down in Wanganui when I was down there, um, just in over summer, and. Um, she just took some footage on her cell phone and it's put a little bit of that in there as well. And it's, yeah, I think people are going to go, um, <laughs> not quite sure what to make of this. <laughs> Which I, is good. Well, I think people who like good music and, and people that are interested in your journey and possibly there's, you know, some crossover there straight away are going to, are going to be impressed and, and, and are going to dig it. That's what I think. Yeah, I hope so. And, yeah. I hope so. I hope it just makes people kind of, um, think a little bit, yeah, and and, and kind of listen, and and just go. And it's why I'm going to let and make people listen. You know, please listen to it on headphones, yeah, 
because I, I tend to mix on headphones these yes. days. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. It's, it's, it's just a little bit more immediate, especially in this particular song, because there's no drums in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, well, there is there's a few tom-toms in it, but, yeah, um, yeah. floor toms. But, um, yeah, it's it sounds much better in headphones. And mm. I think people listen to music on headphones now. Yeah, totally. Most, mostly, yeah. I think know, so. Going to work and, I've got it. I mean, I've got my um, earbuds in at the moment. You know, it's like yeah. uh, it's just just what I do. Yeah, totally. Hey, um, yeah. For, for two people who um, have really only said a couple of sentences to each other in person, we've we've managed yeah. a pretty good chat. I mean, I think we both like to talk, but we've managed a pretty good chat. Is there anything yeah. that you'd hoped I'd asked you that that I've forgotten? Um, I don't think so. Musically, I, you know, I think we've covered pretty much everything. Mm. No, I mean. Uh, I have a proper job these days, Simon. You know, I work for a company. Um, I, I, this is another thing that, that a lot of people don't know, that um, the last two and a half years I've been working with a company called Opportunity. Yeah. And we, we do, as a sound engineer, which I love, mm. and we travel the country doing daytime shows for senior citizens. And it sounds really naff, but it's, it's just amazing. No, that's. I, I absolutely, I absolutely love it. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's an um, awesome thing to do, right? Like, uh, that's that's where you get to see um, you are you are brightening people's day. You know, like you are put, putting something into the world that's only meant for good. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's uh, that's the that's the thing at the uh, you know it's hard work, and we yeah. do two hundred and thirty shows a year, and and cover the whole country. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're providing this amazing service for for senior citizens, you know. And, yeah. and let's face it, in another four years, I'm going to be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and I keep saying, to, uh, you know, because uh, I've made a lot of friends in the last two and a half years, a lot of, you know, friends who are part of the audience. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I'm, saying, I'm like saying, look, one day I'm just going to turn up here and I'm going to be sitting in the front row, you know. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's lovely, and and they all come out and they make a day of it, and um, yeah, and I and I work with some amazing performers, you yep. know, as well, who I perhaps you know a lot of um, classical singers and opera singers, and um, you know a, a few contemporary singers as well, um, and and um, piano players and um, guitarists, and um, but it's just something different but, and I really enjoy doing it yeah you know, it's, it's it's brilliant it's, no, that's, it's something else some, another string to the bow you know? yeah that's awesome that's awesome yeah. um well I've yeah. loved this I've loved this chat I I feel like I'm you know we're on, we're on the phone but I feel like I'm in the room with you and we're just talking about the subject that's consumed us both our whole lives yeah which is, which yeah. is music and which it has. yeah that's right and yeah. I um I'm so thrilled that you wanted to have this chat. I feel like it's long overdue. I've been I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, and the fact that you've got a song out um, just sort of enables the process yeah. a little bit easier. You get something out of it. Um, this is a good bit of promo for your single. But we would have yeah, had, you know, we would have had this conversation one day anyway. Yeah, uh, it's been good to talk to you. Yeah. And, and my wife's just come down here going, you know, hurry like, up, holy shit, hurry, <laughs> well, you know. God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking. How long have we been talking for? Hours. Well, yeah. you know, I can, I can, I can talk for hours. Well, it's and been, I like to just let it all hang out. It's been great, and <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, I started off nervously saying, "Is this Richard Morris?" I feel like I can finish by saying, "Thank you, Ricky. This has been a lovely conversation." Yeah, and and um, thank you too, Simon. It's Th- been wonderful. I can leave behind 
the past And the dreams that never lasted But the one thing I can't leave behind is you I can run and I can hide But I'll feel the same 